Welcome to the Life Success and Legacy Podcast. We're super excited. We are taking on a worthwhile endeavor at Life Success and Legacy. Our intention is to honor Nelson Nash, the man, as well as the infinite banking concept. We're going to create a series of resources, including podcasts and text, as a resource for others who want to truly understand with depth and clarity what Nelson shared in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, as well as the many seminars and think tanks that we were fortunate to have attended during his life. So who is this intended audience? Well, we will use Nelson Nash's own words. It is written for the layman not for financial advisors, but all life agents should be thoroughly knowledgeable of its content and practice. So whether you are an individual, part of a family, a business owner, or a life insurance agent, this is for you. So sit back, relax, and we will walk you through becoming your own banker step-by-step so you can reference the parts you want to revisit at your own pace. And we might have a little fun along the way. Hey, we want to welcome you back to our next edition of the Life Success and Legacy podcast. My name is Chris Bay, joined by the King, Michael King Everett, <laughs> CEO and all around, all around great guy at Life Success and Legacy. Mike, let's do a quick <clears throat> mic check on that. Say hello to everybody. Breaker, breaker, one nine. Everybody, come on back. <laughs> You're sounding good. Sounding good. Right, we were having right. a little microphone issue earlier. We want to make sure he was good to roll. Hey, I, um, happy new year to everybody. 2022. I think this will probably be the first one that comes out. Um, yep. we're recording this on the 13th of January and want to wish everyone a happy new year. Hope, hope you and your families are safe and staying healthy. And, uh, we all hoping get back to life as mm. normal, uh, here in, in soon in the, in the short order, Mike Everett, how are you? You got you know something what? coming up here next week. I just got to have a little minor uh, shoulder surgery, uh, four to six weeks with my arm strapped to my side and, and then about another four to six weeks of uh, rehab. But uh, it's an old basketball injury that just will not go away. And, and uh, you know, I've been getting some trouble from a lot of people on hiring stuff done. And I said, as long as I can do it, let's see, Nelson would call it use it or lose it. <laughs> So as long is as that, I can, is it your left shoulder? Yeah, that's my shooting arm. Is it that's, from Duncan? No, no. Hitting, hitting the ball on the rim? Not, not really. Not really. But yeah, <laughs> I, for Christmas this year, I bought uh, uh, my two grandkids uh, an outdoor goal that they can yeah. pull to, put in their cul-de-sac. And it just so happens it goes down to eight foot, which I'm fairly excited about for a uh, old, older, <laughs> larger man. <laughs> So what's the, uh, what's the estimation on when you're going to be able to swing some clubs again? Well, just I know go, you've spent some time calculating. Yeah. That. Just go, uh, about 14 weeks out from the 17th of January. Okay. I don't know what that is, but you know, it's going to be less than four months. I think we can get it down to three months. <laughs> of course you could. So February, March, I think by mid April, I'm, I'm out with the sticks again. Yeah. So think long-term. Don't be afraid to capitalize. Yeah. Don't steal from yourself. By the way, while you're talking about that, I'm practicing my grip. <laughs> oh, my god! All gosh. right. People I don't want to listen to us talk about this stuff. No, there. Thanks, okay. folks. 
I'm actually super excited about um, this section that we're on today. And for our listeners, um, if you're new to this, what we've been doing is walking through um, Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. Here's my old beat up one that I'm going through. Right if you don't there, have baby. a copy, we always <laughs> recommend get yourself a copy. You can find them on our website, Life Success and Legacy. There's lots of other places you can find them as well. And if you've got one, we recommend you pull it out while you're listening to this. Um, this, this one, we're on page 69 today, and I'm super excited about this because I was a skeptic of, of infinite banking, yeah. and I think this chapter was written for the skeptic. In fact, it's titled, But I Can Get a Higher Rate of Return. Mike Everett, how many times, how frequently, how often do you hear from people who they say, why would I borrow at 5% from a life insurance policy when I could get a rate of two or three at the bank? So you're asking me how many times I hear this? Eight out of 10 people. Yeah. Eight, eight, but let's, let's be conservative and go 50% of the people that we visit with mm-hmm. wonder why in the world they'd borrow money at four or 5% when they could go borrow the money at two to 3% at the bank. That's right. That's right. It, all the time. And I had the same mental block in my mind. And there are even um, IBC coaches out there who don't don't tread into this area. No. Nope. Right? Yep. Right? Yep. So there's a couple of things I want to do. If you're a skeptic, this one's for you. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then I also want to clarify um, a couple of ways that Nelson uses interest in this chapter and other places. And I think it's helpful, and we'll try to do our best to clarify this. When we're talking about interest, when you read in the book about interest, there's two different types that Nelson is talking about. One is the interest rate that the life insurance company charges for the loans taken against the policy. The other interest rate he's talking about is um, when a person takes a loan and they're looking at what it would cost them to do it at the bank and they're making that interest payment to themselves back to their policy, those are two different kinds of interest. The interest that the life insurance company charges us, is that set rate, and then the interest that they would have paid, that a, that a policy owner would have paid at the bank or a credit card or wherever, that they're now charging and sending to themselves. Those are two type, two different types of interest. Now, those are both. Those both have to do with the insurance company and the insurance policy. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the third one. That's one where everybody gets stuck. If we go borrow money from a conventional bank, they're going to charge you what? Interest. Interest. And once you pay that interest out to the bank, do you ever get to reuse those dollars? Gone forever. Gone. So that's really the conventional thought process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's uh, multiple ways that you can look at interest, but we're we're going to really, uh, I think, dig in on the value of how to utilize a policy and the interest that is really yours. <laughs> so let's get to it. We are on page right. sixty nine. And this first paragraph, Nelson's basically saying how often people say, but I can get a higher rate of return by investing in, which is the same type of uh, logic of where you borrow from, right? That's right. That's right. And so he does say, we're not addressing the yield of an investment. 
we are discussing how you finance anything that you buy. This is a reference straight back to page three, the very first page of the book, where Nelson says, this book is not about investments of any kind. It's about how one finances the things of life, which can certainly include investments. It is not about rates of return. That's right. So that's what he's referencing back. He says it's always, and he, he has that in italics. It he is does. always, he, he doesn't beat around the bush on this. No. Nope. It is always better to finance it through your banking system than out of your pocket. Okay. Mm. Always. So then he goes into actually uses numbers here. And for those who are just listening, we're going to try and lay this out for you. Okay, I'll lay it out for you. Then Michael explain some of this. We'll, we'll add some context. Um, if you're looking at it, it'll be very helpful. But if you're listening, I'm going to try and lay it out. What Nelson's going to do here is he's going to show someone. He's going to show a person A and a person B. Person A, and they're both going to do an investment of $100,000. The same and, investment. That's right. And he's going to contrast um, two different ways to do this to prove his point. So person A is investing $100,000 for one year and earns 20%. 20,000 bucks, yeah. Right? And person B is going to build cash values in their infinite banking concept policy, right? And they're going to borrow against that policy at 8% interest charged by the company. And they're going to- Let's clarify here. They're both going to- They're both going to invest the same $100,000. One person's going to invest the hundred thousand out of their pocket. The other one's going to invest the hundred thousand out of their own um, their own IBC system. Absolutely. So Nelson first shows the math of what this initially would look like, but then he takes a third look at it to show what's really going on. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, you want to talk through that person A, that first section there? Okay. So this guy's got a hundred thousand dollars sitting in a savings account. He turns around and he's going to go out and he's going to invest his $100,000. And they say, it says right here, he's going to earn 20%. So that's $20,000 that he makes on his $100,000. But in all reality, guess what we got to do? We got to pay taxes on the gain. So 20, uh, 30% taxes. And we're just, Nelson always uses 30%, you know, when we're looking at taxes. So that's $6,000. So the total net yield from Situation A from person A is going to be $14,000. So that's so a $20,000 gain minus the $6,000 in taxes. That leaves $14,000. He's got, after everything's all said and done, he's got fourteen grand sitting there. Got it. <clears throat> so now we transition to person B. And this is the person who is applying infinite banking. What they've done is they've capitalized. We want to be very clear, and Nelson is too, as a, a whole paragraph after this that clarifies there is a delay there is the capitalization phase that has to happen so recognize that you know all those things but let's say this person b has a capitalized policy with a hundred thousand dollars available they're going to take a loan against that policy to do the exact same thing so talk us through that mike so here you've got your ibc policy you got a hundred thousand dollars available in equity inside the policy. So we want to clarify and make sure that we're clear. Does the person actually borrow the money out of the policy? He does not. The equity, he's borrowing it because he has equity of $100,000. So the insurance company goes to their 
big pool of money and they loan him $100,000 because he has that equity within his policy. Using his policy as collateral. Now, we've got to think through what is the insurance company doing with our premium dollars and our policy loan money? They're out investing that money. They're out investing that money for what reason? They're paying dividends. And who does that benefit? Us as policy owners. And eventually when we die, they want to be able to pay the death benefit. All of that benefits us. So when we go and borrow $100,000 from the life insurance company, we are taking that money out of circulation that they have invested for us. And so they have to do what? They have to charge us an interest rate. So you got to make the money somewhere. That's right. That's right. So it doesn't matter if you borrow the money down at the bank, you're going to pay the bank an interest rate, but you're borrowing the money from the insurance company. And they also have to have that money at work. So they've got to charge us an interest rate. Now, here's the awesome thing. And this is the second portion of this. This is person B. They're investing the same exact $100,000. They are making the same exact 20% that person A did. But here's the difference. You're talking about the interest that you're going to have to pay the insurance company first. Because when you borrowed that, so you have your net gain, your gross yield, excuse me, your gross yield of $20,000. That's 20% you made on the same $100,000. But you had interest of $8,000 because they charged 8% interest on that money. So we're going high on the interest. We're just making this a little bigger. Now, keep in mind, Nelson wrote the book in 99 and interest rates were a little bit different then than they are now. So you've got to subtract out the $8,000 that you are paying your banking system. So the taxable gain is $12,000, not 14. So you're going to have to still pay taxes on the 12 grand, which is 3,600. So the net yield in that particular situation is $8,400 compared to person A who yielded out 14,000 and you're going, well, I don't think I would want to do that. Why in the world would anybody do that? Well, that's not the end of the story. That's not. And so Nelson (laughs) takes it one step further. Our net yield was $8,400 for person B. That is awesome. But if you are borrowing money, and I'm going I'm to give you two separate thought processes. If you borrowed money from a conventional bank, do you have to pay that money back? Yes. Absolutely. And, well, and how much control do you have over that process? You have zero, zero control when you borrow it from a conventional bank. But if you're borrowing the same $100,000 from your banking system, should you pay it back? You should. Absolutely. So here's where you've got to really put your banker's hat on. Mm-hmm. That means that the policy owner is going to then turn around and pay themselves back the $8,000 that they would have paid in interest to a conventional system, but it's to their system. So if you've got the $8,400 yield plus the $8,000 
that you paid back to your system, your total yield was $16,400. Compared to $14,000. Right. So you're ahead of the game. Ahead of the game. And I might add that we started to reference when you borrow from your own system, which this is a, a huge advantage in my yep. mind, is the control. The bank is not telling me what to do. I have total control of when and how I make payments back to my own system. Yep. That is a huge, huge uh, benefit in my mind. Well, we always, uh, in the early, early days of IBC, we always talked about liquidity, use, and control. Mm -hmm. Luck. L-U-C. <laughs> I will also add, and Nelson doesn't highlight it in this chapter, which he does all the way through the book, is he doesn't touch on economic value added here. Mm -hmm. So if we recognize that these interest payments that we're making back to the company is a way for the company to make money, and the company's making that money for us, so it's adding right. additional cash value, right. death benefit, dividends, all those things, why would we not apply economic value added? And instead mm -hmm. of sending $8,000 in interest to them, why wouldn't we send $10,000? 10000 That's exactly right. It's just additional capital that goes into the system that we can then reuse. You know, I'm going to want to visit with Nelson about that when I get to heaven and ask him why he didn't hit on EVA because he really, he hounds you with EVA all the way through this book. <laughs> I mean, we're going to just have a little visit about it. <laughs> yep. You guys might talk about a few things. Probably. So this next uh, paragraph, he really is talking about, it, this is his, his, his um, comment of, yes, we recognize that you have to build a system. You have to capitalize your system That's to it. where you have built up that, that cash value available. But once you've done that, it's a one-time thing. One-time event. And it's done. Yep. And then you've got this unbelievable tool that you're using to finance everything in your life. Mm. Now, this is a really interesting analogy that I think is very helpful to readers and listeners is Nelson then talks about a trust agreement. Mm -hmm. And as he oftentimes does, he defines the players in the play, right? He does. The characters in the play. So Mike, if you would talk through what is a trust agreement, who are the characters in the play? And then how does it parallel to a life insurance policy and a company? You know, uh, we, we talked about this early, early on. And, you know, I don't I, I don't know why we don't ever talk about this anymore. But but a, a trust agreement, basically a trust has a number of people that have to be in play here. Number one, you've got the grantor. That's the one who has the money that actually gives the trustee. And then there's got to be a beneficiary of the trust itself. Mm -hmm. So the grantor puts the property into a trust. Now, who is the grantor? Let's just give an example. Let's say I'm the grantor. You're going to be the trustee, and then my family's going to be the beneficiaries. That's correct. Some real people. So I'm the grantor. I'm the one that's putting stuff in the trust, and you're the trustee, and you're managing it for us. You're the one that's got the money, and you're giving the money to me. So I'll put the money to work. Yes, thank you. It, 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 it's really that simple. Um, 
golly, it's hard for me not to go right into the life insurance policy. <laughs> but, but so the trustee takes possession and title of all the property of that trust. The trustee puts the property to work for the benefit of who? You, the yes. grantor. So you've got you who has the money, the grantor, you've got me who is the trustee. And what do I have to do? I got to put the money to work so you can make an income or you can make some additional uh, capital. And at some point, that trust is going to benefit my beneficiaries, which would be my family. Because when you're checking out somewhere down the road. Right. So, so you've got all of these different pieces. Now, now, now I have a question. Yeah. Could you, as the trustee, I'm the grantor. Right. You've got to put that, my money, to work. Right. That might be in investments. That might be in all kinds of things. Yeah. Could you also loan money from the trust to me, the grantor? 100%. And I would pay interest on that loan. 100%. Okay. So, I mean, you could loan it to you. You could loan it to your kids and grandkids eventually in order to make this whole thing work. Now, the bottom line is the trustee has to make in income out of this thing. Or guess what? The grantor is going to fire the trustee. It's pretty, it's pretty simple. So the grantor is nothing more than the policy owner paying premiums. Correct? Correct. Okay. The trustee is nothing more than the insurance company who is in control or holding the premium dollars that the, that the grantor or the policy owners are paying. So that means if you're now looking at this, now we're going to correlate the trust and the life insurance policy kind of side by side. Your life insurance policy is like the trust. That means it's building equity. So the insurance company is out putting this money to work and you're slowly building a system. Remember, Nelson uses the twins. He uses equipment financing. You're going to build the system for either seven years, four years, depending on the dollars that you're paying. And what are those dollars that you're putting in? They're premium dollars that are growing equity. Man, we are down to basics here. We are table level, folks. <laughs> so that means eventually the, the grantor is going to go, hold on a second here. That's the, that's the policy owner. He's going to go, I need to borrow some money for and in this particular example, it's for an investment. So that means that the, the trustee turns around, the insurance company turns around and loans the grantor, the policy owner, money. That means you're taking that money out of circulation and going out and doing something with it. So if we're getting back to the basics of IBC, should the trustee charge the the grantor an interest rate for the use of that money. 100%. So if you are the grantor and this is your trust, your trust, would you want to pay your trust a little or a lot of interest? <laughs> pay it a lot. As much as you possibly can, because that does nothing but help the trust grow.
Now, if you think about the life insurance, and I'm, I'm going to get back to basics here. If you turn around and the insurance company loans you money because of the equity in your policy, would you want to pay yourself a little or a lot? You'd want to pay as much as you possibly could. Because the minute you then pay that policy loan off, do you have access to those dollars again? Absolutely. It is about keeping all of those dollars in motion. And, and to clarify, you don't even have to pay off the whole loan. Oftentimes people say, do I have to pay, you know, like 401k loans? Right, right. A lot of times you got to pay off the whole thing before you can take another loan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. With our policies, that's not the case. If that is not the if case. If you paid back half the loan and there's cash sitting in there, can you take another loan? You 100%. Better, Absolutely. That I love that analogy that Nelson uses with the trust. I think that that may help some listeners to kind of connect the dots on this. He, he then goes in and he says, you know, a number of people have had trouble understanding that the interest that person B paid to the insurance company went to increase the cash value of his policy. And then he says, if you're having a hard time understanding this, he references back to page 26. Let's turn back to page 26. So there's an image here. So if you're a visual learner, uh, at the bottom half of page 26, Mike's showing a picture of it. I am giving you a picture of it. There it is. So Mike, talk about the moving parts here with this, uh, this illustration Nelson's given us. All right, so if you get back to even the simplistic view of what we talk about in the webinar, banking is a process, not a product. Mm -hmm. But yet when you go to start thinking about dividend paying whole life insurance, you start to think about a product. So what we're doing is we're creating a infinite banking system out of the oldest financial tool known to man. It's called a dividend paying whole life insurance, 260 year old product. But yet you've got the insurance company that is in control of this giant pool. So you've got premium dollars going into this, right? And then you've got expenses, you've got dividends, and you've got death claims coming out of this giant pool. But yet the insurance company has to take those dollars and go out and invest them somewhere. So the examples are, and I'm going to start at number three, and then we're going to go to two and the one. You're going to go to joint ventures. That's one of the places that people, that insurance companies want to invest their money. Well, this is in the days of old. So you think about shopping malls. Right. Um, Nelson used to call them see-through malls because what ended up happening is how many of those malls are full right now? You're lucky to have 50% uh, rented spaces right now. So is joint ventures a high risk place to put money? You better believe it. So you can almost imagine that an insurance company because of their conservative outlook at, at where they're putting their money Joint ventures would be a very, very, very small place that they would go out and put their money, but they want to put some money into some kind of joint ventures. Then you've got mortgages. Now, would mortgages be uh, less high risk than joint ventures? You better believe it because most people, all us, we all have mortgages. So are we making our mortgages on a monthly basis back to the mortgage company? You better believe it. 
But then the last one is the policy owners. Let's see, wait a second here. Is that less risky than the mortgage? In fact, there is no if risk. There is zero risk. And, and think through, I, I want our listeners to think through why it is less risk. So the policy owner is going to borrow money from the pool the life insurance company has out there invested. But yet you're going to borrow that money and they're going to charge you an interest, right? Okay, so that's expensive operations. That's all that is. Now, why are we the least risk out of joint ventures, mortgages, and policy owners? Well, number one, we have the equity available. So that means that we're going to take a policy loan. And let me just explain what a policy loan is. It is nothing more than the prepayment of a death benefit. Love that definition. So what you've got is you've got a death benefit. So if you've got a policy loan out there and you die, does the insurance company want their money back? Every single time. So I'm going to use my example. I have $2.4 million worth of life insurance and I, I have borrowed approximately $400,000 on the six policies that I own. Let's pretend that I die right now. The insurance company, company is going to subtract the two or the $4 million, ah, $400,000 out of the $2.4 million and my wife still gets $2 million and everybody walks away. But yet now let's pretend that I'm not going to die today. I will continue to make those policy loan repayments back to those dollars, right? And then what happens is that helps my dividends. That also increases the amount of dollars that I have available to do this over and over and over. So the policy owners are the least risk of places that the insurance company can go out and loan or put money to work because they are guaranteed that they will get their money back. Man, that's good. It's pretty amazing. What One of the companies that, that we've done work with, um, I was looking one time at their percentage of their investments and how yep. much of that goes to loans to policy owners. And because this company is specifically invested in the concept of infinite banking compared to other companies, they had twice the percentage of loans to policy owners than any of the other companies. You know, uh, that goes back to something that uh, I was having a conversation with uh, an agent up in Pennsylvania just recently. Um, one of the most difficult things to do, and if we have company people listening to this right now, forgive me, I'm going to get my asking forgiveness on the front end of this, <laughs> is because what we do is infinite banking and we do this at a fairly high level, we want people to understand what they're doing. We end up having to educate the home office people about infinite banking. Why are people borrowing money? Why are people making monthly policy loan repayments? Why are they doing all of these things? And if they don't understand the why of what we do, then what we're doing is we're continually educating and we're continually giving information to the insurance companies 
of why we're doing what we're doing. And this sounds crazy, but I said, you know, there's this gentleman by the name of Nelson Nash that wrote a 92 page book. If you'll just take a couple hours and go read this book, you'll have a greater understanding of why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. Ah, Drives me crazy. Okay. So we're going to wrap up here. We're going to turn to page 70 and there's a little bit on page 70. Nelson does um, reference, he says, okay, if you didn't understand it, go to page 26 and look at that illustration. He says, yep. for further amplification, turn to page 54 and 59. This was the equipment financing section, right? Yeah. And he essentially is proving the same point again in another area. He's, he, his last paragraph says the interest, in quotes, he pays the policy is not really interest on the loan. It is additional premium that is equal to the amount of interest he is paying to the finance company. Now I want to clarify that because that's an, one of those times. That's a mouthful, right? That is a mouthful right there. Right. That interest he's talking about there is, is, is the interest that the, the equipment financing um, gentleman, the interest would have been paid to the financing company. A conventional financing company. But he's turning that and he's paying it back to his policy. That's correct. And and to the tune of 19400 right? <laughs> yeah. And how much is the premium in that equipment financing? 15 grand. So wait a second. He's paying more back to his policy in interest. That's correct. Than the actual premium. So is that adding to the dollars that he would have available to borrow out the next time? And we can see that in, in the examples down below in the chart. What he's showing is that, yes, you do have to capitalize the system. And, and he's saying, you know, your, your outlay, what you're putting in was 19400 And the difference in the gain was only 14796 Right. That was in the early early stages while we're still capitalizing. Yeah. We're just in the first couple of years. Yeah. But then you get to years eight and years 12 and your outlay is 19,400 and your gain is a little bit over 20 grand. So we're making some ground. And as Nelson tells us, it usually takes somewhere in the range of 10 to 12 years where you kind of break even of cash value you've put in, sorry, premiums you've put in and cash value you have access to. Yeah, that's right. Where Usually they kind of equal. That, yeah. That's right. But then he goes to like lines 24, 28, mm. and you've got 19.4 that went in, but the difference in gain was over $74,000. So this takes us back to Nelson's principles. Mike, remind, remind our listeners of Nelson's principles. Number one, you gotta think long-term. If you can't think long-term, chances are IBC is not for you, which is a-okay with us. We're just here as educators and coaches, and we want to help you think through it. Think long-term. Number two, you've got to capitalize this thing generously. You have to. Um, Nelson, his old school way was don't be afraid to capitalize. So that's why we walk people through our process with the webinar, with the dream conversation, with the boot camp, with presenting them a step-by-step plan, but more importantly, reading the book. So let's see here. Think long-term, capitalize generously. Don't steal from yourself. So in the book, Nelson talks about don't steal the peas. 
You know, when you go back to the grocery store, if you and I are grocery store owners and we're taking cans of peas out of our grocery store, would we want to put those cans of peas back so it would be available for the next customer coming in the door? Absolutely. But it just so happens that when you build your whole infinite banking system, who are the customers? You and me, our families. So what we're doing is we're just creating a system. Um, You know, when you start to think about those three main rules, three main principles, if you keep those three things in mind, I'm telling you what, and then you got to don't do business with banks. Eventually, we're going to stop doing business with banks. And that does not mean that you're not going to have a checking and savings account. What that means is your auto loans, your truck loans, your business loans, your uh, real estate loans, your even your home mortgage. What you're going to do is you're going to create a system to where you will actually start to control those loans yourself. So you're turning around and utilizing your system in order to get rid of that outside debt and create create inside debt. And then we've got to rethink our thinking. So Chris Bay, I think about how long you've been alongside me. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have trouble thinking through why are we doing what we're doing? Yes. Okay. I've been doing, <laughs> I just, I just entered my 17th year of doing this full time. Do I ever have trouble all the time? Because here's the thing. We're always assessing and reassessing why we do what we do in order to provide the very, very best material education for our clients. And so when we have clients who come to us, and some of you are listening right now, you're asking us the hard questions. And we have to be able to research and educate ourselves and make sure that the information that we are providing to you is correct, it's right, it's truthful, and it has integrity written all over it. We kind of love, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Man, I was, I was on like a deal there. But, you know, I I mean, this is why we love what we do. So this this is... uh... I, I love this, this section because for one, it was, it was a sticking point for me yep. and it is for so many people. And, and, you know, I'm actually was thinking as I was listening to you, you know, as we have people who ask that question, why would I borrow from a policy at, you know, 5%, let's say compared to 3% at the bank, yep. we're going to send them the podcast. Hey, you That's know it. what, listen to this and see if this helps in, in explaining. Cause I think yeah. you've done a really good job of, of explaining this for sure. To our listeners, um, I'm looking forward to our next podcast. Um, It's called An Even Distribution of Age Classes on page 71 that we're going to get to in the next one. Um, But it actually is part of the inspiration as to why we wrote uh, the Family Banking with Purpose book. It is thinking long term. It's thinking about generational impacts of IBC if you build a system. We want to sincerely thank you all for joining us and listening. We wish you a very, very happy new year. And uh, please check us out at Life Success and Legacy. Uh, Thank you again for joining us. And uh, we look forward to catching you next time.